Brethren, let us once again pray and ask for God's help. Our Father, as we have sung in this last hymn, we truly want to crown you Lord of all. And we pray that, as has been prayed, that you would so be present among us that every person in this room, from the youngest child to the oldest adult, that we would not, that this hour would conclude with all of us bowing the knee in our hearts and confessing Jesus Christ as Lord and King. Not only Lord and King of the universe, but Lord and King of our lives. Lord, only you can bring this to pass. No man can do this. And so we ask, as has been prayed, and we would not regard this as a vain repetition, but an expression of our desire and earnest need and persuasion that only you can do this. And we ask, Lord, that you would do it for your glory. And we pray all these things in your name. Amen. <clears throat> this morning, brother and I would like to, this is actually um, related to the sermon on contentment that I preached um, in recent days. And this was a sermon that came before contentment, as you were. There's a trilogy of sermons on this theme of our plans and God's will. As you know, as you heard it said many times in various ways, the Christian life is a journey. And it is a journey that leads not to Florida. A lot of people like to live in Florida. There's nothing wrong with Florida. But it doesn't lead to Florida. It leads to eternity. And along the way, there was so much to learn about God and his ways. God is working in us. God is working upon us. And God is also working through us for his own glory and for our highest good. Philippians 1, 6 said, He that begun a good work in you will perfect it unto the day of Jesus Christ. And Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that to those who love God, all things work together for good to those that are to call according to his purpose. <clears throat> Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And he is the good shepherd who leads his sheep on this journey as he continually calls us to follow him. Now God's will, when we think of God's will, it is revealed to us in three categories. And I'm just going to quote essentially from the Confession of Faith of 1689. <clears throat> Not in depth. But just to kind of set the framework and for those who may not think in these terms to challenge you to think in these terms and to provoke you for further study. But God reveals his will to us in three categories. That is God's decree, God's revealed will, and God's providence. 
God's decree, our confession states that God has decreed in himself from all eternity by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will, freely and unchangeably, all things whatsoever comes to pass. Everything that is happening in the world, God has decreed. And, and God's decree, we know about his decree, but we cannot know what his decrees are. His decrees are, decrees are only for him. The secret things belong to the Lord. Only God knows his decree. And Jesus said when the disciples asked him after Jesus had risen from the dead and he was about to go up into heaven... And the disciples said, Lord, do you at this time restore the kingdom? And Jesus answered in, in Acts 1-7, he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has set within his own authority. You see, that's God's decree. And then God also reveals his will, I'm saying his revealed will, that is, his revealed will for our lives in the Holy Scriptures, the Bible. You want to know God's will? Well, for us, we don't need to try to ask God about his decrees. That's God's business. But God has told us a lot in the Bible. And so you want to know his will? Take up and read. Take up and read with a lot of prayer and with counsel to help you understand what God has revealed to you. Because, again, our confession states the Holy Scripture is the only, there's no other book you want to add to this, sufficient, it's adequate, certain, and infallible rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. Everything we need to know to believe is in the Bible, and everything we need to know to provide direction and guidance as to how we ought to live our lives is in the Bible. Um, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration, or literally is God-breathed, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So, the scriptures is king in this matter when we want to find out God's will. And then the third category in which God reveals his will is his providence. God's providence. What is providence? Well, our confession puts it this way. God, the creator of all things, in his infinite power and wisdom, does uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures and things from the greatest even to the least by his most wise and holy providence. That's a mouthful, isn't it? That's a mouthful. But it's true. Essentially, God's providence is the outworking of God's decrees. And God upholds and controls and his hand is involved 
from what we call the rising of the sun to the birds that fly in the air or to the coronavirus, where it goes, where it lands, what it does. God is control of everything that occurs in this universe. Nebuchadnezzar had come to his senses and he said in Daniel 4 about the Most High God, he does according to his will in the armies of heaven and among the inhabitants on earth. And no one can stay his hand and say to him, what do you do? God is actively involved in his world. He doesn't wound the clock up, as it were, and step back and let the world just go on on its own. No, no. God is involved. He's involved in our lives. He's involved in everything. And this is what we call God's providence. So God reveals his will in these categories, his decree, his revealed will, that is the scriptures, and his providence. So now let us get into the material per se. I have three points that I want to bring before you with some lines of application as we consider this matter of our plans and God's will. Firstly, planning is a reflection of God, our creator. Planning, that is human beings making plans, it is a reflection of God, our creator. <laughs> and this underscores the fact that in everything, God is to be glorified. It is in our nature to plan. It is in your DNA to plan because we are created in the image of God. God created this world by plan. He created the world in six days. God could have created the world instantly, but why did he do it in six days? He did it to establish a pattern for us to follow. And in Proverbs chapter 3, uh, verses 19 through 20, well, let's look at that. Proverbs chapter 3, because I haven't turned to any passage yet. Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs 3, verses 19, it says, Jehovah, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the depths were broken up, and the skies dropped down the dew. Creation wasn't done by random. It was by wisdom, by understanding, by his knowledge. There was a plan involved when God created the world. And God followed the plan that he made, and he created the world over the course of six days as a pattern for us to follow. He did it systematically. He didn't create man first, because you know what that would look like? Man will be floating around in water and in darkness. And just like, a, car, a contractor, when you build a house, 
You don't build the roof first, you build the foundation first. And so man, by virtue of creation, uh, we are planners. And planning is good and is a reflection of God. You think of the planning that went into making the Panama Canal or making the Great Wall of China or other feats. The Panama Canal, maybe some of you not too on the geography thing, but it was an area that a waterway that was made in Panama to connect the Atlantic and the Pacific Ocean. And this was one of the largest, most difficult engineering projects by man to make this waterway by cutting it through this little peninsula area or this strip of land. And Teddy Roosevelt was the one who was greatly involved in that. And uh, I like history. I find it interesting. But when you, when you look at that and with the materials that they had, they didn't have the materials that we have now. They didn't have computers in those things. It's amazing the things that man was able to accomplish in the world prior to the 21st century and all of our technology. And why is that? Well, God, when God created man, he told them to subdue the earth, to rule the earth. And man moves the earth. We have machines where we move things and we flatten out things and we build buildings and we build complexes. And we, this is going on continuously. We build bridges and all kinds of things. All of these things are fascinating when you study. But remember, man does this because he's made in God's image. And he does it by plan. Now, we're not all going to be building bridges and building canals. But what about planning a budget? That gets more to where we live. It takes planning. you got to plan a budget. Vacation. Plan a vacation. Planning for retirement. Maybe starting a business. Planning for your career, your future. Planning for that addition you want to add on to your house. Planning for marriage. Planning to get that promotion. You see, it's right for us to make plans. And I just want to underscore that by saying these things. Planning is good. And the things that you're about to hear, I'm in no way suggesting that it is most spiritual not to plan at all. No, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying to be more godly, to be spiritually minded means just wake up in the morning, don't plan anything, and just kind of go with the flow. No, I'm not saying that. Planning is good. It's in our DNA. It's a reflection of God, our creator. Now, number two, our plans are subject to God's wisdom. We make a plan. In fact, we use the Bible when we read, we turn to passages, we look at that, we look at this, we pray over this and that, and we find some biblical principles to guide us. And then we go beyond that. You say, you know what? The Bible says in a multitude of counselors there is safety. So we get counsel from the wise and prudent. And having prayed, 
having searched the scriptures, having gotten good and godly counsel, we have our plan. But nonetheless, we must remember that even this is subject to God's wisdom. One brother said to me, and I, I like this phrase, he said, God overrules our ignorance. He overrules our ignorance. I mean, we know but so much. We do the best that we can with what we have, with the knowledge we have, the light of understanding that we have. We make our plan, but God knows everything. And he overrules what we don't know. Proverbs 16.9. Proverbs 16.9 says, A man's heart devises his way, but the Lord directs his steps. A man's heart devises his way, but the Lord directs his steps. I want you to see a little illustration of this. Turn with me to Acts chapter 16. Acts 16. And here you have godly men doing God's work. And yet, we see how God was guiding and directing them contrary to what they intended to do. Acts chapter 16, and this is Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And these are missionary, you know, Paul's a missionary. He wants to go preach the gospel in this city or that city. But I want you to see how God guided him contrary to what he intended or planned. Verse 6. Acts 16, verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. They wanted to go to Asia, but the Holy Spirit forbade them and directed them to Phrygia and Galatia. And when they were come over against Mysia, we essayed, we intended, we desired to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus permitted them not. And passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There was a man of Macedonia standing, begging him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And when we had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go forth into Macedonia concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel unto them. Concluding, they had drawn this conclusion from this vision that they received that God has called us to preach the gospel to them in Macedonia. Now again, I'm not saying we need to look for visions. That's not the point of looking at the passage. Let's wait for a vision. Let's wait for a dream. But here, God is working in the life of the apostle, and the point that I'm showing you is how the Spirit of God forbade him and hedged him in, and even through this vision that God had provided to direct the apostle to go to Macedonia. He never intended to go to Macedonia. He intended to go to these other places, but he was guided and directed by the Spirit of God. And thus, he concludes that God had called us to preach the gospel to Macedonia. God works in our lives. 
Again, not by visions, not by these things, but by his providence primarily. And um, not exclusively, but we have the providence of God where we pray about, Lord, open this door, or Lord, close this door if this is not your will, because we don't know what God's will is. I mean, we know his will in terms of what we, how we are to live, what we are to believe, but we don't know his will for what we should do in the next hour, the rest of this day. You know, you plan your day, right? How many times we plan our days, and we end up doing something totally different from what we planned. And that's God's will. And that's God leading us because he wanted you to deal with this matter. You may not understand why, but he has a purpose. You may understand that maybe weeks or months down the road. But the point is, is that a man's heart devises his way. The Lord directs his steps. Our plans are subject to God's wisdom. Always remember that, brethren. When you're planning something, and perhaps you're sitting here and you got plans going on in your mind. And you've made plans of what you're going to do, maybe for the holidays or maybe for next week or whatever it may be. Or maybe some great important thing in your life that you face with. And you have to make this critical decision. And all these things, remember, God is going to overrule your ignorance with his wisdom. Second item, and this is important. We must not trust in our plans, but in God alone. This, this one could be a bit subtle. Especially when you prayed so much. And you've read the scriptures. And you have chapter and verse to support what you're going to do. We can walk away thinking that our plan is the will of God. You hear me? We can think our plan is God's will. It may be, but you don't know that, and I don't know that. And therefore, we must not trust in our plans, but in God. It's a good plan. It's a great plan. In fact, you're pretty impressed with the plan. But God's will is ultimate. If everything hinges on this, if the Lord wills. If the Lord wills. Think of Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. You know the verses. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not to your own understanding. And that's the phrase. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your steps. Trusting in God <clears throat> is another way of, not, of saying lean not to your own understanding. Two sides of the same coin. Do not lean on your own understanding. Do not rest upon your own plans and trust in your plans. You ever see a plastic bag blowing in the wind? You're driving on the road and the plastic bag is on the highway and a car drives by and the bag goes, then it's kind of like, Another car drive by and But brethren, that's our plans. Our plans is like the plastic bag blowing in the wind. It's determined by God. Where that bag is going to land 
It's determined by God. It goes up in the air and the wind blows. And you see, the plastic bag has no control whatsoever. The wind and, and, uh, is totally subject to the wind and to things around it. And so it is with our plans. Let me, um, let me ask you this. Are you a better planner than God? I know what the answer is. But sometimes, brethren, we do get frustrated. They said, it was such a good plan. Everything was in place. And I just don't understand why it just fell apart. I, I can't understand it. I mean, we, we did everything. We prayed. We, we did this. And, and if we pray and read our Bibles and make a plan, then God is supposed to do that. Ah, is he? Is he? I'm saying that's why this is so subtle. Because we do it in a God-honoring way. Man's goings are of the Lord. How then can man understand his way? Proverbs 20, verse 24. When we must remember that our Father in heaven knows what he is doing, and he makes no mistakes. And when we've made that great plan that we made, prayerfully, biblical counsel, biblical principles, and it just crumbles before us, we must remember that God knows what he is doing. And he makes no mistakes. God does not have a plan B. God does not have a plan B. We have a plan B. But God does not have a plan B. And also, brethren, keep this in mind. God can fulfill our desires beyond our plans. He can fulfill what we want to accomplish beyond what we planned. God is not limited and he is not bound by our plans. He's not limited and obligated to work according to our plans. Because he's God. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. All right, what we ask? We pray. We ask for things. We pray, Lord, save everyone in this room. Maybe he'll save everyone in Catskill. That's beyond what we've asked. You see? He is able to do beyond what we ask or think. Now think, okay, you know, we use our heads. We sit down and say, I'm, I'm going to think about this. Let me think here. So we're thinking. And we're doing a lot of things. Smoke coming out the ears. Boy, we're really thinking away. And God can do greater than what we think. And, and our plans, you know what it is about our plans? It's personal. Our plans is actually a reflection of us. Because we've invested so much of ourselves and what we want and what we desire and how we want this thing to be accomplished, we put so much into it. And man, when you put so much into something, you're looking for a return and you want it to be done right. 
you don't want to make any mistakes. So you're very careful about this thing. You prayed. You've probably even shed some tears. And you've invested yourself. And in all of that, brethren, we must remember, God is not bound or obligated or limited to do what we have planned. Because he knows what he is doing and he makes no mistakes. So we must not trust in our plans, but in God alone. And now we have some lines of application or observations that grew out of this. All right, so we learned that planning is in our DNA because we're creatures made in God's image. We reflect our creator. We learn, secondly, that our plans are subject to God's wisdom. God will determine the outcome. And thirdly, we must not trust in our plans. Now, These truths or these principles, if we grasp these and get hold of these, these truths will help us deal with disappointment in a way that honors God. It will help us deal with disappointment in a way that honors God. Instead of murmuring, complaining, worrying, sinful anger you know you go and you <clears throat> kick the chair resentment ah, it's those people <sighs> everything planned but that one guy that one guy that woman that that manager that boss that relative that person they they're just messing everything up i got everything in place everything was in order but that one or crippling discouragement. I give up. I give up. What's the use? I'm a failure. My life's a miserable failure. I just give up. I don't care anymore. And these truths will keep us from being overcome by these attitudes and dispositions of heart. Because, turn with me to Psalm 131. Let's let the psalm speak for us, God's word. Psalm 131. We will become like a weaned child. (laughs) Or if we are a weaned child, we will react in this way. Psalm 131. It's a beautiful psalm, encouraging psalm. Psalm 131 says, Jehovah, or Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor my eyes lofty, neither do I exercise myself in great matters or in things too wonderful for me. Surely I have stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in Jehovah from this time forth and forevermore. Like a weaned child. You know what a weaned child? 
It's like, well, you think of a child that's not weaned, and the mother is breastfeeding this child. And every time the child gets near its mother, it goes for the feeding. And the child is impatient. And sometimes just the sight of the mother, the child will start screaming and bawling. Because this child only understands one way to obtain the desires of their heart. They want that feeding, right? And there's only one way. And so when the child sees the mother, the child is impatient, is persistent, and you, the mother can't even hold the child without the child clutching and going after the breast to nurse that child. But the weaned child can sit on its mother's lap or be in its mother's arm and wait. Why? Because the weaned child has learned that there's another way to satisfy their desires. And maybe the weaned child has learned that there are other ways to get nourishment. You know, there may be the bottle, there may be um, soft food or whatever it may be that the mother feeds the child. But the weaned child sits with, is in the presence of the mother, and the weaned child has come to trust the mother and to patiently wait for the mother to provide the food for its nourishment. And so, brethren, as in this psalm, as we are to be with the Lord, our plans, we must not look at our plans as the only way for God to work in our lives to bring us happiness or to bring us the thing that we desire. And therefore, we must wean ourselves from our plans. Now, make your plan and execute your plan. I'm not saying make your plan and forget about it. No, make your plan and then start putting steps in place to carry out your plan. Go ahead and start working it out in your lives. But as you do, what I'm talking about, I'm talking about the disposition of your heart. Let your dis disposition of your heart be like a weaned child. Don't look at your plan as the be-all and end-all for you to be happier, for you to be successful, whatever it is you're trying to accomplish in your life. But be like a weaned child and recognize that, you know, this is a plan I'm pretty satisfied with and I'm, I'm impressed with it, but I do know that God is going to determine the outcome of this matter. And I am weaned from my plan. And if my plan does not come to pass, I'll be disappointed, but I'm not going to be crushed by this because I know God is in control. God is in control. And so I am weaned from myself, from my wisdom, from my ways, and my faith is totally and completely in God in his direction for my life. So it will help us deal with disappointment. You know, things don't always go the way we plan, right? And, uh, and maybe that happens often. Or, you know, you can do it on a national level. You could do it in an ecclesiastical level, how things may turn out in the church, how things may turn out in the nation, how things may turn out, you know, in every realm of life, 
with your children, with your whatever it may be, we ought to this these truths will keep us, brethren, from being overwhelmed with murmuring, complaining, sinful anger, resentment, crippling discouragement, because our faith is in God who is in control of all things. And in fact, you know what it also will do? It will it will spark a bit of anticipation. Anticipation. To say, you know, what is the Lord going to do? It's not like I made this plan and yeah, God is in control. And ah, you know, I heard the sermon this morning. And ah, you know, I got to just wean myself from the plan and, and probably not going to work anyway. So, uh, you know, I got to have faith. I guess I got to have faith. Well, whatever. No, that's not the attitude. The attitude is to have anticipation because... God's will is so much better. God's wisdom is so much better. And don't you want the best? And the best is that which comes from God alone. And so therefore, these truths will help us to deal with disappointment in a way that honors God. Secondly, these truths will keep us from pride. It will keep us from pride. You know, just think about it. What would happen if every time you plan something, it comes to pass? Every time we plan something, it comes to pass. Somebody say, well, you know, you should write a book about planning. Because when you make plans, man, I don't know how you do it. Every time you plan something, it works out. Maybe you should write a book to help us, you know, how to. And this is the, you know, our mindset and our culture. There's so many books about how to do this, how to do that, how to do the other. But we may not verbally say this, but we may begin to think that we're pretty smart. You know, God has given me wisdom. And I'm pretty smart because, hey, everything I planted just comes to pass. You know, I follow the formula. God has been pleased. And it's true that it is God the ones that bless it. But we must be careful lest we begin to think things about ourselves that are not true. And that's why I said these truths will keep us from pride. Unless the Lord builds the house. They that labor, labor in vain that build it. Right? Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 8. <clears throat> Deuteronomy chapter 8. Here, this is the second generation of Israelites. In the wilderness, the first generation, they pretty much died off, with the exception of a few. When, when Israel came out of Egypt under the leadership of Moses, and now the book of Deuteronomy, as it were, it's like a big sermon that Moses exhorting this next generation. And now they are about to go into the land of promise. So they're on the plains of Moab, and Moses is exhorting these next generation of Israelites to go into the land and he warns them and instructs them 
and um, to prepare them to go into this promised land. Look at verse 1 of Deuteronomy 8. All the commandments which I command you this day, you shall observe to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which Jehovah sware to your fathers. Right? And you shall remember all the way which the Lord led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, prove you, that is, put you to the test, to know what is in your heart, whether you will keep his commandments or not. And he goes on to say more things, right? So this is the whole context here, but I want you to look later on in the chapter. Verse 11, verse 11. Moses continues, he says, beware, <clears throat> lest you forget Jehovah your God in not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes, which I command you this day. Lest when you have eaten and you are full, and you have built goodly houses and dwell therein, and when your herds and your flocks multiply, and your silver and your gold is multiply, multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, right? That's what we want. We want prosperity. We want to do well. We want to have things. And when your heart, verse 14, be lifted up and you forget Jehovah your God, who brought you forth out of the land of Egypt, out of a house of bondage, who led you through this great and terrible wilderness, wherein were 40 fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where no water was, where was no water, excuse me, who brought you forth water out of a rock of flint, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers knew not, that he might humble you and that he might prove you to do you good at your latter end. And lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. But you shall remember Jehovah your God, for it is he that gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swear unto your fathers as at this day. So you see the warning there? They go into the land, they build nice houses, Say, hey, I, I like how you built that deck and your lawn and how you have that patio. Man, such great wisdom you exercise in planning that out. Yeah, well, you know, that's just, uh, you know, how it is with me. And they have all these abundance and prosperity. They're prospering well. And they begin to think it's by my power. Like Nebuchadnezzar, look at my great Babylon that I have built. And as he walks around Babylon, he sucks in the pride. In his chest, look at this great thing that I've built, right? And so it is, brethren, in our day. People want to make a mark. They want to do things. They want to be the president of the company, or they want to have this position, or be the first female to do this, or the first that to do the other. And they want to have this and have this. And, and brethren, we need to be careful because here, even God warns the people of God, after all they experience Moses had to give this warning to help them so they don't think that they've done it by my power. So you see how these truths will keep us from pride? 
If you make a plan, brethren, and your plan come to pass, you know why it came to pass. Because the Lord will. Because the Lord will. Not because you had a great plan. Because the Lord will. And when you look at all that you have, and all that you, your, your life situation, and maybe you don't have much of anything, whether, whether the case you have plenty or you have little, remember it's all in keeping with God's will and God's working in your life. So these truths will keep us from pride. He that glory, let him glory in the Lord. And you know in James um, chapter 4, in James 4 and verse 13, you know the passage James where he says, Come to now, you that say, we will go into such and such a city. Let's look at the passage. Maybe everyone's not familiar with it. Turn with me to James 4. I won't spend a lot of time on this passage. James chapter 4. James 4, verse 13 says, Come now, you that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into this city and spend a year there and trade and get gain. Whereas, you know not what shall be on the morrow. What is your life? For you are a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. For that you ought to say, If the Lord will, we shall both live, First, you have to be alive and do this or that. But now you glory in your vaunting, vauntings or boastings. All such glorying is evil. You see, we're going to have a five-year plan. And we're going to do this for the first two years. And then the year number three, we're going to do that. And year number four. And in year number five, we're going to cash in on all these investments we've made. Or I'm going to finish school. And then by the age, by the time I'm 25, I'm going to get married. Because I cannot bear being single when I'm 30. I remember that was a big thing with young, young women. Um, when I was in my 20s, I don't know if women still think that way. Like if you reach 30 and you're still single, it's all over. No, it's not all over. It's not all over. But, you know, those are things that, you know, the way we think, you know. And here he says, they're making plans here. We're going to go into this city. We're going to do this. We're going to do that, whatever it may be. We're going to do this, that, and the other, and I'll be set. I got my plan in order. I'm happy as a clam. I'm all set. I'm good to go. But no, that is sinful boasting. Where's God in in it all? If the Lord will. So that's the point I'm underscoring is that these truths will keep us from this type of boasting in our lives. And thirdly, these truths will help us grow in contentment. That was the sermon contentment (laughs) the last time because... I mentioned, I'll say a little bit about contentment, but because of the nature of contentment, I thought it was something that is worthwhile of a sermon all its own. But these truths will help us grow in contentment nonetheless. You know, our plans, God determining the outcome of our plans, 
And how these things are, you know, how they fall out, brethren, these truths will help us grow in contentment. It doesn't mean we give up planning. It's in our DNA to plan. We're going to make another plan. But we're going to continue to plan and seek to live our lives. But the contentment aspect of it is that the outcome and all of the results, we recognize that it's from the hand of the Lord. It's God's providence. It's God's doing. God is working in our lives. And it may not necessarily mean we won't achieve the desires of our heart, but maybe God may do it in a different way than we planned. We just don't know. Or maybe God has something entirely different for us altogether. But contentment would be that posture like that weaned child where whatever the outcome of our plans, we will have this settled peace of mind that God is working in my life. And God is doing this. God is doing this and this is for my good, and this is according to his wisdom. I don't understand, and you don't have to understand. The point is, is not for you to understand. It's for you to believe and trust. And that's why Proverbs 3 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not to your own understanding. Yes, use your understanding, but just don't rely upon it. Rely upon the Lord. Because, brethren, our plans cannot produce contentment. Right? I'll be content. I've got this plan. And when all these things come to pass, then I'll be content. Then I'll be content. Don't be deceived, brethren. Your plans and contentment, contentment has nothing to do with your plans. Say it again. Contentment has nothing, nothing to do with your plans. Nothing. Because contentment is to be found in God and in God alone. Whether your plans fall apart or whether you're sitting in prison, you're chained with Paul the Apostle at Philippi, and then around midnight Paul says it's time to sing. And they start singing hymns, or not hymns, but they start singing at midnight. The book of Philippians was written from prison. Paul was encouraged that things would turn out and that he would be delivered. But if not, he says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul wasn't like John the Baptist, and I'm not criticizing John the Baptist because Jesus is there was no greater born of women than John so I don't want to but as we learned in the previous hour John doubted because he's a man of like passion like as we are we're like him are you the coming one or should we look for another and okay my plans don't seem to be working well I don't know what should I be doing should I just give up, should I, or, you know, when am I going to be happy? When is my life going to come together? When are things going to work out for me? 
You know, and that comes when you're comparing yourself to other people and you say, oh, they seem to have it together. They're always smiling. Their kids are so obedient and everything is wiped. And look at the husband wife. They're all coochie-coochie, you know, and they're so happy. And look at me, and I'm just so, well, maybe that all could be true. But remember, brethren, our joy comes from the Lord. God is enough. That's what I said in the Sermon on Contentment. God is enough. Turn to Psalm 73. Psalm 73. I think I made reference to this psalm, but it's, but it's okay. I can, I can refer to it again. Psalm 73, and here the psalmist, he's a believer in God, follower of Jehovah, and yet he's chastened, He's afflicted. Life is hard. And he looks at the wicked people, and they seem to be having it easy. They have all the fun. They have all the pleasure. They can do things. They can sin, and they don't have to worry about their conscience. Whereas me, when I think about sinning, and I know that it is wrong, and it's something I'm tempted to do, I mean, man, my conscience just bothers me. And I just can't. I can't just do those things because of my conscience and what I know from the Bible and what I know from coming to church. And it just, man, I just can't do this. But yet I'm afflicted and I've got all these troubles trying to fight against sin. Christians seek not yet repose. Cast thy dreams of ease away. Thou art in the midst of foes. Watch and pray. i got to labor at this Christian life. And man, the wicked, they just seem to just... Life is easy for them, right? I'm not going to read the psalm, but that's how it begins. He was envious at the wicked. Uh, Verse 3, for I was envious at the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And then he he says in verse um, 13, surely I have in vain, I have cleansed my heart and washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. And if I said I had speak thus, behold, I had dealt treacherously with the generation of my children. When I thought how I might know this, it was too painful for me when I look at all of this. And if I were to turn away from God, this would be a contradiction. And yet I'm in this misery. And this is too much for me to handle. Until, verse 17, I went into the sanctuary of God. And considered their latter end. They were on the broad, they're on the broad road that leads to destruction. Yeah, they're having all the fun, but they're having fun, but they're having this fun, and they're going to hell. They're going to the place of the weeping and the wailing and the gnashing of teeth. They're going to the place of eternal judgment and suffering. And then he looks back upon his own situation. Now, nothing has changed in his life. And look at what he says in verse 23, or verse 22. When he thinks about himself and the way he was thinking about things, he says, so brutish was I and ignorant. I was as a beast before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You have hold in my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel. And afterward, receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? 
And there is none upon earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart fails, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And then verse 28. But it is good for me to draw near unto God. I have made the Lord Jehovah my refuge that I may tell of all your works. Nothing changed in his life. Nothing changed, but he changed. His attitude, and he was able to be content because he recognized that having God, he has everything that heart could wish. He has what is most important. He has what is most essential. And therefore, these truths, brethren, will help us grow in this matter of contentment. Our plans... So therefore, brethren, we can wean ourselves from our plans and not make our happiness, our future, our peace, and our joy does not rest upon the fulfillment of our plans in our lives. It rests upon God. Whether he brings our plans to pass or not, it rests upon God. And therefore, we can make a plan, and we can be free. We can actually relax in our spirit. Relax in our spirit. That's another expression of faith, being at peace about the whole matter, knowing that God has it all under control, and he's going to do what is best for us. And we can trust him with all of our hearts. Our plans and God's will. These things are not contradictory, but God is the one who brings it to pass in a way that it will work out for our good and for his glory. And we would say, the will of the Lord be done. Let's pray.